Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerdette Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except you don't have to share your snacks. This month, our selection is Laura Worrell's debut, Sweet, Soft, Plenty Rhythm. It's about Circus Palmer, a jazz musician, and the many women he lets down. Or, should I say, it's about a number of women of different ages and backgrounds, and the deadbeat who connects them all, we will decide in today's discussion. With me this month is Sonari Glinton. He's an NPR personality and podcast host. Sonari, welcome. It's good to be with you. Good to have you. Also, here is the host of the daily public radio show, 1A, Jen White. Jen, welcome back. Hi, Greta, and boo on the lack of shared snacks. <laughs> well, you didn't share. You just <laughs> ate a snack and did not share. Literally, it just happened. I know. I couldn't, we couldn't force it through the camera on Zoom. <laughs> Sorry. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, so before we dive in, here is our spoiler warning. If you haven't read this book and you don't want to know what happens, go listen to the spoiler-free author interview that we have in the feed. If you haven't read the book and you do want to know what happens, happens or you've read the book, you are in the right place. I also want to have a couple of, I don't know, disclaimers or context or whatever, which is, Jen, you interviewed Laura also on your show, 1A. It was a fabulous interview. Thank you. And Sonari, you are friends with Laura, right? I feel like we should just get that out in the open. That is correct. We are very good friends. I'm also friends with Jen, so. I know, right? And you, Greta, we're, I'm friends with yeah, you. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> we're all friends here and it's fabulous. Um, okay, so with that in mind, like, what do you think? Is Circus a fuckboy? Sonari. <laughs> Is circus a what? <laughs> a fuck boy. That's where we're starting. You know, I was like, I, I feel like, I, yes, he is. But I feel like, yeah, yes, he is. But thank I, you. But but here's here's the thing. I, I this definitely is from a woman's point of view. Mm, yeah. Because one of the things that I thought is that it is a man's world, and turning forty is not quite as the not quite the event for men. I think. Just to be honest, oh, as it as Fair it enough. is for women, I feel like I'm the gay version of Cyrus or, or uh, <laughs> Circus. Sorry, that, that his real name is Cyrus. Is uh, his real name is Cyrus? His, no, his are name you is so Circus. you want to say that someplace as being recorded? Wow, wow. wow. Well, that's my thing. Is like this is it's a book win from a woman's point of view, and like there is the the fundamental. I mean, like I have one of my best, two of my best friends, wise left them raising a child right like that has happened and i just feel like there is a there there's a it's definitely from a woman's point of view just to say that that way okay we can we can say that that way that's fine i would love to hear more about that but i want to stick with the fuck boy for another (laughs) moment what do you think jen i mean there is also the argument that like he never tells any of these women that he is able to commit you know like he's pretty straightforward about where he's at and his abilities I would say that Circus Palmer is a man who lacks emotional integrity. Mm -hmm. He does not know how to engage 
in emotional fidelity and he is sorely in need of therapy. That is what I would say about Circus Palmer. Yes. So, yes, I think you are absolutely correct. Let's listen to a voicemail from Liz in Minnesota, who also agrees that Circus is a fuckboy. Total fuckboy. Like, ugh. not only that, I'm sure we all know someone like him. I see no need for his side of the story. Like, I almost wonder if I wouldn't have enjoyed this book more. And granted, I haven't finished. But if it was just the women who are impacted by him and his just oh awful ick gross decisions right like i don't i don't know why we need to hear so much from him and i much prefer the women's like fullness i do think this is an interesting point about the book because i mean you he's certainly you can argue he's a compelling character he is you know arguably kind of the connective tissue between all these different women but i mean he does still take up a lot of space did you think about that too jen in reading the book I really thought about it as sort of um, as a as a composition, as a song. Yes. And the yes. fact of the matter is that Circus is the, he's the melodic line. Mm, that's a beautiful way of putting that. And in these jazz scenario, you have these solos, right? And that's what, where we get the other women coming in. They have these moments where they like have their, their moment to, to solo in the novel and we stay with them for a little while and then we go back to the melodic line and then you've got Coco who acts as sort of a counter melody to Circus. Mm-hmm. Coco is his teenage daughter. I, I think the reason why I want Circus in the story is because Laura Worrell is presenting an unsympathetic picture of someone who she really does want to understand. Mm, yeah. And as terrible a human as he is through this book, I also don't want to rob the other characters of their agency because they're making choices too. Yes. They're making choices too. And I think having been in relationship with men who remind me of circus. <laughs> Part of my evolution now that I'm knocking on 50 is like, oh, girl, you were making some choices. You made mm-hmm. choices, Jen. Yeah, and some of, and right. it's not to absolve the other person of their accountability in, in, the real, in the relationship or situationship or whatever it was. But right. I, I think you need, you need all of it. You need all of it to, to understand the choices everyone is making and why. Well, you know, yeah. I, well... Yes, Sonari, man on the call, man, tell us what you think. <laughs> well, you, you know what, this, this, this is funny because uh, I, I, I do remember the days. I remember, th- I, I, will, I will go here. Uh, you know, Jen and I have been friends for, I don't know, a decade and a half or so. I remember there was some dude that I was like, I don't like him. Not even the thought of him. And I never met him. Do you know what I mean? And you're like, please. Some dude who Jen was dating? Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Did, did like, I date anybody when we were Oh, wow. Oh, we are going Sonari, here. I don't remember dating anybody when we Oh, no, no, no. It was your, no, no, no. It was, uh, you told me stories of a person. Oh. And I was just, <laughs> oh, it was And I was ex. just like, yeah. yeah. And I was just like, um, on the side mad, you know, but then, you know, like, just, but I see this in, I mean, in my world, this is the a better example. I remember going to dinner with Jen and five of her friends and, or a group of her friends, and they were all talking. And I remember thinking, you know, I am a gay man who works in public media and I can barely keep up in terms of like, these ideas are whizzing past my head so quickly. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm a basic dude. And I remember there's this exchange that Coco has in the story 
where it's like she's thinking so far out Hmm. about I mean she does this multiple times like um, whether it's like you know a crush on the teacher a crush on the Boston bomber you know there are all these moments where I'm like Hmm. girl the dudes are simple (laughs) they are simple like we are not I mean dudes are I mean like that's that's how I was that's what I that was the feeling I thought and simple in that I want to have empathy for a black man in print. You know, I'm going to fill mm. in a backstory about him. We don't know. It seems as if he might was abused as a young person. Yeah, we did get mm-hmm. some backstory mm-hmm. that right. wasn't good. Right. And, yeah. and I'm going to look at the hurt person hurting people and see like, oh, you know, how many times has he got stopped by the cops? This dude lives in Boston. I have lived in Boston. Mm-hmm. That is not a great place for a black man to be. And sure. I'm in jazz, so I'm like, if there's anything more delicate than being a singer, it's being a trumpet player, right? Yeah. So it's like, so <laughs> everything is on this like razor's edge for him. And mm-hmm. there are all these people wanting something from him, and he doesn't even know who he is yet. Mm-hmm. I wanted the people to be like, you know, this is hard. It is hard to have a daughter with a white woman. I mean, like, all of this is hard oh for this man. Yeah. But, but I just want to, <laughs> I, mean? I just want to jump Sorry, in here, though, ahead. because I, I think I think that's really um, astute. However, comma, I also think... (laughs) 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 I think the other piece of that is that Circus is really clear that he needs something from these women. Mm, There are things he needs from Pia. There are things he needs from... Maggie, this woman who's probably the person Circus loves most. There are people, mm-hmm. things he needs from from Josephine, who he just like booty calls occasionally. There, th- mm-hmm. you know, there are things he needs from all of these women, and his core failure to me, his core failure is that he never stops to examine mm-hmm. why he needs these things from them, and when they give it to him, it's never enough. Whatever they give him, it's never enough. It's never going to be enough. And when it starts to feel like it might be enough, he runs away. He never stops to examine his fear. And that, to me, is the core of his character and the core of his failing. And and that is not something anybody else can do for him. He's got to do it for himself. And he is unwilling over and over again. And frankly, the music, I think, becomes a bit of an excuse him right. avoid uh, that yeah. fear to avoid the trauma and to really look it in the face and deal with it and show up for somebody well and i think too like scenario i completely appreciate what you're saying i think there's also an element though where like is he actually that good of a musician right you right. know like he's not <laughs> actually you know he's blowing off meetings when he does go to meetings they're sort of like eh, i don't know like i think he's i think you i can totally see what you're saying about like how difficult it is for him to be in the world and to get through each day, especially given the trauma that he lived through as a kid and God knows what else being a black man in Boston. But I will like, I don't, he's not actually working that hard. I don't think at least not from what we're seeing in this book. Right. When you, if you, if someone was going to describe circus as a musician, like I can hear it be like, Oh, you know, circus Palmer. Oh yeah. Right. He's cool. Yeah. 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 I really like hearing him when I get sushi on Sunday nights, you know? Yeah, well, um, that is so fun. I mean, like, I, you know, uh, I, I was at an event with Laura 
the author, and she spoken about this that none of the characters are autobiographical. Right. Though she right. did date a musician who yes. I, who was a white rapper, which I just like. Oh, she didn't say that part to me. That's amazing. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. and it was just like, oh, who wasn't very good. And so when I listened, it was the idea was that uh, Circus is good but not successful. I mean, just the fact that he's a jazz musician, right? And I love jazz like you you can't believe, but like, come on, at 2013, you know, like at 2011 or, you know, 2013 when this is, like he's a jazz musician. It's like, what are you running from, right, brother? Like, why are you hiding in this, why are you hiding in this thing? And to piggyback on what Jen said, I mean, there is a bit of me that thinks, you haven't realized fear of abandonment or fear of, you know, totally. blah, blah, blah. Like these are basic, these are basic issues that you should have dealt with, dude, at 40. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So another thing I want to talk about is the Boston Marathon chapter. Oh, Just to remind everyone, this is where Coco, Circus's teenage daughter, falls in love with one of the suspects of the Boston Marathon bombing. And the whole thing goes so far that like she has an idea about where one of the kids might be hiding out. And she like sneaks out of her house during the manhunt to try to find him. It's pretty unhinged. Uh, it's also fascinating. I talked to Laura about it. Here's what she said. What she does in that chapter is so extreme, not only falling for him, but trying to find him. That is so extreme. And to me, that reflects the, the level, the intensity of longing she has for her father to be loved by him, right? And um, that's part of the reason that I felt like, okay, I know this is touchy. I know people will be bothered. That has been voiced to me and I accept that, but I hope that readers understand what my intention was behind it. I just thought that was really interesting. Um, Lauren Christensen reviewed this book for The New York Times, and she loved that section. She called it a literary high wire act. I'm not sure. I mean, I guess it did make me uncomfortable, but it partly just like felt very out of the blue to me. Um, Jen, what did you think about it? OK, so I need to first explain that as a young person, I had a very active inner world. Uh, <laughs> and so, <laughs> well, I was, Wow, I love that. I was yeah, afraid sure. enough of my parents to never actually do something like, oh, I'm going to fall in love with someone who's allegedly at that point, yeah. could, you know, created <laughs> sure. this terrible catastrophe. I'm going to go find them because I'm in love with them because I fell in love with their oh picture. My God. Right. Like so intense. it never it never would have gone that far because, again, I was mm. afraid of Henry and Bessie White. <laughs> but the inner world piece of it, the sort of writing these narratives where you I mean, you have been to Oz and back in the space of 30 minutes. I've mm. been that kid. Shoot, sometimes I've been that adult. I'm not even going to lie. But I just, <laughs> so I understood that. And and I felt like in a way, Coco and Circus are mirror images of one another. Like Circus yeah. is consistently running away and Coco is consistently mm -hmm. chasing. Mm. He's like chasing mm -hmm. down some sense of connection because just just to be clear, it's not just about circus and their estrangement her mother's not present for her either oh my god no her mother has completely checked out emotionally she is mothering her mother in a lot of ways oh absolutely she's the most this is a form yeah. of abuse right so it's like yes it's it's so yeah there's some there's some responsibility there for circus but 
had her if her mom was more present, would she be this likely to try to chase down right. the Boston Marathon bomber too? You know what I mean? It's both. One reviewer described her as horny, which I thought was really strange kind of because reductive. like obviously yeah, I mean and I you know, obviously there are sexual layers to like what she's trying to figure out and like, you know, her becoming like getting older and and yeah, like feeling those feelings. But to me, it wasn't it was so much less about that than about like trying to find connection yeah. and just being desperate, like to be seen. Yeah. And know? that's the thing is like she she listen, she's a teenager. She is horny. Like that is part that is definitely sure, part of sure. what she's experiencing. Yeah, she's her, thinking about stuff. Yeah, She's thinking about stuff. Her body's doing hormonal stuff like that is definitely yeah. happening. But what I see in her is this desire to feel cherished. Mm-hmm. To feel yes. cherished. Yes. She wants she wants tenderness because she yeah. doesn't have it. Not from her parents, not from her friends, not from her grandmother, family. her extended family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That tenderness is utterly lacking in her life. And that's what she's really looking for. Yeah. I think partly what threw me off about it, too, is that I could see that that moment in time, if you lived in Boston, would have been you know, like another sort of September 11th moment of just like the touch point of, you know, remembering distinctly where you were and what was happening and how scary it was. I can totally picture that. But there's such a specificity to it that I was kind of surprised to see it in this book. I work with uh, a lot of young folks and I actually felt like this. That was the this was the most like I as Jen said, I could see the teenager unregulated. Mm. Right. Sure. Your father is absent. And, you know, you're doing, I mean, this both is of your a parents are absent. Both of your parents are absent and she's mothering her mother. That is a really yeah. bad place yeah. for a teenage person to be. Right. And like yeah. those two things and like, where is she going to get any direction to be like, you know, because many times mm-hmm. that it's not like, oh, that's someone to sit you down and tell you that's bad. That's like someone who loves you being like, Stop that foolishness. Do you know what I mean? It's right. like just having someone real in your life. And she has, that's the, that's what I felt for is like so many of the characters were so despondent, you know, like uh, unmoored. Mm. And um, the drummer is the one who doesn't feel unmoored, right? Maggie, yes. Maggie, Maggie is, yeah. it's like that is, she was the character that I, that I could see her recognizing herself in Coco and. Yeah. You know, that was like the hope that I got that, oh, maybe Mm. like throughout all Mm -hmm. of this trauma and this absent mother, she can see that there are role models for the woman she wants to be. Like maybe Mm. there's like I left the book thinking like, oh, maybe the hard Mm. part is over and she can find people in her life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I just wanted to because I I went Mm. back through the book because I was like, I think this is this is correct. We we have a moment in the very beginning where Coco has this interaction with a teacher, um, Mr. O'Rourke. And part of what I think part of what's present in both the sort of search for the the Boston bomber and this interaction with Mr. O'Rourke is this feeling that she can fix mm. something with them, that she can help them. And and that she, doesn't resonate at all with anything I've ever thought. In my all, life. Right. Right. <laughs> but she says, you know, an entire school day lay ahead of her, but all Coco wanted was to sit with Mr. O'Rourke to talk to him and watch him fiddle with the wooden apple. She wondered what mm. inside him hurt and if there was yeah. something she could do yep. about it. And I think that's a direct reflection of how she feels about her dad. And if you think of how the book ends with her fixing 
mm-hmm. something for her dad to to make sure he's hopefully going to be okay. I mean, that's just that it makes perfect sense that she would try to find the Boston bomber because yeah. it's all about making sure he's safe. And yeah, it, it's extreme and it doesn't make a lot of sense from a logical standpoint, but yeah. it's very teenage if yeah. that's taken to an extreme. Yeah, that's a good point. Let's listen to another voicemail. Here is Christina from Chicago. First, let me just say everyone in this book needs therapy, a lot (laughs) of therapy. I also thought the juxtaposition between Maggie and Pia was really fascinating. Maggie was so confident in who she was. She didn't need circus or any man to be complete and to feel like she was you know, beautiful, successful woman. But Pia seemed to be the complete opposite. And it was really sad to see her search for love and acceptance from like anyone and everyone she encountered, even the strangers that were on the religious retreat. Um, I just found that really sad. So yeah, did either of you find any hope in the fact that she left? I kind of I was sort of like, well, good for her. Like, obviously, she needed to get the hell out of there. Uh, So... That's so. It's very complicated because, for me, you're abandoning a child. You're abandoning a child, and granted, like she was not helping that child either, though. Really, she wasn't helping the child either. Her father then had to step in, which he should have been doing the whole time. Yes, but (laughs) I felt bad for Coco. It's just like, okay, girl, good luck Mm -hmm. with yo daddy. Mm -hmm. Hope that works out. But I, I had a hard time finding. Hope in Pia's story, because for me, Pia really reads more like a ghost. She's just like the spirit who isn't completely present. And she's just unmoored and floating from from place to place, from the bathtub to the kitchen to Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And just she's identity less, you know, and it's like she's looking for someone to imprint on her strongly enough to make her feel like she is alive. So I had a really hard time finding hope in that. Yeah, that's fair. She reminds me of what, you know, the stereotype of the groupie, right? And this is Mm -hmm. like sort of in my mind what happens after that, you know? It's like when you don't have the thing of your own, you Mm -hmm. and I get the sense that she was, you know, but both Circus and her could coast on beauty. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then when that, you know, as we know, beauty fades really quickly. Very mm-hmm. quickly, right? If she had been successful, if she had found a thing of her own right. that was separate from a man or separate from a child, right? But, it, I mean, that's, in a way, she's, I think she may be doing her daughter a favor as, and I always feel like the, you know, by removing herself, right? Right. I think that's kind of what I'm thinking of it. Too. I mean, and I know that's super complicated and also devastating. But it seemed like it. She she was actively not helping. You know, in which case, and she seemed so miserable in that position too. I love to think that she found that her leaving was an opportunity for her to to figure other stuff out for herself and be able to put herself first for maybe the first time ever. You know. Yeah, life makes you grow up. Um, and it seems like Coco had to grow up in these weird ways. And when you get to the epilogue or the end of the book, you're like, well, maybe she got a little, like there's, there are a couple of these, you know, maybe she got a little bit of that 
I'm just a kid. Yeah. I'm not, you know what I mean? I mean, she's still fixing, as, yeah. as Jen said, still fixing, still trying, you know, I mean, trying to get a girl for her dad, even on her own graduation, like all those things. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I, yeah I, I felt that. I guess I think about the conversation she will have if it happens with both of her parents in 10 years. If mom and dad are finally like together enough to have a real conversation about how jacked up stuff was when she was growing up. What is that conversation going to sound like? Yeah. (laughs) It's going to be a hell of a conversation. In just a minute, we're going to hear about the fact that Laura did not become a published author until after the age of 50, which is pretty badass. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org/events. So one of my favorite things about this book is actually about the story of its publication. The manuscript famously was rejected, I think, like more than 50 times before Laura got a book deal. She's now in her early 50s. Her life has completely changed. Um, When we had her on the show, she talked about about all of that and how, like, I think she even used the phrase, like, it's never too late, which I just love and think is really cool. It's always interesting to see someone, you know, figure out a thing. Um, decades into their lives. Um, and it just made me wonder, like, if there was anything like that for either of y'all that, you know, <laughs> at your age now, you're like, you know, maybe I should dabble in this thing. I mean, well, Jen, before we started recording, you mentioned audiobook narrating. Should we put that out in the world? I, <laughs> please, please. Y'all want her to read your book. Read, like, I want you to read this one. Go ahead. Like, no offense this, to the person who wrote it. This is a conversation it. scenario I have at least once a quarter, oh, if not Perfect. if not more often, Jen's existential crisis about what she's going to do <laughs> with the rest of her Who life. Who is arguably at the top of her game. <laughs> well, I think that's that's the that's the tricky part. So you mm. you know, I come from a theater background, and mm-hmm. I stepped away from that um, and fell in love with journalism. But there's a, a piece of me creatively that I I feel like I've I've lost to be frank mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. there was a time in my life in my 20s where I had this incredible group of friends musicians and actors and like we would get together at somebody's house and literally spend 6 hours writing music that was what oh, we did wow. not because mm-hmm. we were trying to publish it or i mean sure that was the dream but just for the creative just exercise it. just to do it um, I would do, you know, plays and the community theater and stuff. There's no way my schedule now can can support a rehearsal right. schedule. Um, and but but there's a, a part of me that is that is yearning to reconnect with the little girl who used to sing into her hairbrush in the mirror, mm. you know, and. I'm so happy to see stories like Laura's because 
it it is encouraging to say, okay, it's not too late to it's not too late re, right to reconnect to some of that. It just becomes this challenge of doing it when you're in the day to day of the life you you currently live. <laughs> totally. You know? I, here's a cra- here's a crazy goofy story. There was a moment that I will never forget as long as I live is when Laura called me up and said, hey, let's go out to dinner. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And we went to some West Hollywood hotel and we had pizza and drinks looking out over the city. And she said, she told me about the book deal. And I just, I, I, Mm. it was just, when, when someone you care about, right? And it's like people were like, it, she was driving around Southern California, going to multiple schools, being an adjunct, following her dream. And to see it happen and to see it be as good as it is, you know, it, like, it's, it's irrelevant that the book is. It's like what the book is. It's the right. effort that she put in. And what I realized, what's interesting about it, what I've learned from this experience is not much actually does change. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. You know, like we were walking through and just like, you know, existential crisis that Jen was saying. And she was like, you know, you know I want to make sure I sustain this career as a writer. And I'm like, good Lord, you just wrote the book. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you just yeah. wrote the book. You just did the thing. Simmer down. Like, that's the thing. Like, can right. you just see that you've done this great thing? And that's the, that you're doing the thing that you're supposed to do like that to see her at 50 get this book deal and you think that you know of course there's more nancy pelosi was elected to congress at 47 julia child didn't write you know her first book till she was 50 i mean quincy jones didn't do thriller till he was 50 and didn't become rich till he was 60 like there is so much we get told so much about 40 you know but the to see a woman in her power mm-hmm. and get an opportunity, you know, and this is not the first book. There are five books. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like 25 years of, you know, conference after conference after conference. And to me, the book is great, but it's a testament of an artist. And like to, like I said, to see it is really yeah. emotional to see. And it's the proudest, not because she, like, I would have been proud of her regardless but it was sticking to what she believed in mm-hmm. that i am an author despite these mediocre white men you know to see a friend you know thread that needle you, you'll never like there'll never be a moment right, like that right scenario that was really beautiful thank you for sharing that thank you um okay so we do a completely arbitrary rating system every time around I was trying to decide what to do with this one. We decided on stolen bicycles. <laughs> oh, my God. So from one to ten stolen bicycles. <laughs> oh. oh, Jen, how many bicycles? How many stolen bicycles would you give this book? Do they have bells attached to the bicycle? <laughs> yes, of course. Okay. Bells and tassels. I'm going to give this an... Uh, I'm going to give it an 8.5 stolen bicycles. 
I like that. I think that's about right, too. It's I think it's a really exciting debut. I'm really and, you know, I think to your points and like just that phrasing around um, letting it happen and making it happen. I just think it's really beautiful. And I'm ex- I'm super excited to see what's next for her, even as a person who's not friends with her. I just think it's a really cool story. And the book was great. And I'm excited to see what's next. What do you think, Snari? How many stolen bicycles are you going to give this one? Given eight stolen bicycles because I feel like the thing that I know about her is like one I learned so much about things. This is like funny. It was like mm-hmm. there was a lot of straight sex in this book, by the way. Um, <laughs> I was like, whoa, good lord. Um, but I it's just like there's so like this person that I know that I can you know go have a drink with, and she says things that like clear out your ears. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now that she's gotten the book. Like, watch out, y'all. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, cool. Who learned? Really what, cool. Watch out. So before I let y'all go, for someone who read this book and really loved it, and it could be because of characters or vibes or topic or really anything, I would love to hear recommendations either of you may have for something else readers can check out. It made me think a lot about um, Ross Gay's new book, Inciting Joy. Ross Gay is a lovely poet. And it's jazz comes up a lot in it. Um, which is partly what made me think of it, but it's also just a lovely meditation on joy and the idea that joy and sorrow must coexist. And I just think it's a really lovely thing to spend some time thinking about these days. The the first one off the bat is Devil in the Blue Dress. Walter Mosey is one of the best authors. It's a you get a lot of feeling of a city like Los Angeles where, you know, mm-hmm. which is the same way I felt about this, like that scene setting and the geography of the yeah. book. Jen, do you have any recommendations? So because I, I love reading books that make me want to listen to music and mm. um, Sweet Soft Plenty Rhythm made me want to listen to music. And I don't know if she mentioned it to you, Greta, but Laura created yes, this playlist. playlist. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. You accompany the book. But another writer whose work always makes me want to listen to music is Saeed Jones. Oh, and I was fun. introduced to him through his memoir, How We Fight for Our Lives. Like, read the last page of that, was on a plane weeping. I know my seatmate was like, girl, are you all right? I was not. <laughs> I was not. It's not okay. But it's another, he's another writer where I just find myself reaching for music. It's something about the style, the rhythm, the cadence of, of of their writing and his new poetry collection live at the end of the world is just it's stunning well jen sonari thank you both so much this was such a treat y'all are the best it's been a real pleasure thank you greta All right, that's it for November Book Club. Thank you, as always, for reading and listening along with us. I'm very excited to tell you that our December Book Club pick is Hernan Diaz's Trust. It is excellent. I can't wait for you to read it. Of course, if you've already read it, it is never too soon to send in a voicemail. You can record yourself on your smartphone and then send the audio file over to nerdappodcast at gmail.com. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman, along with Sam Deer, and our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. We will see you in December. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen 
as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.